0: Every one of these episodes is packed full of timeless ideas you could apply to your own life. In this conversation, I speak to Megan Bingham Walker, co-founder and CEO of Shipping insuretech provider Anansi. Megan's early career saw her progressing through the civil service fast stream to become the private secretary to the secretary of state for the Department of Trade and Industry before she became a VC. Megan blends her extensive experience in politics, technology and investing with a deep sense of introspection and a comprehensive toolkit for self-understanding. We discuss finding the courage to discover our niche, how to limit our own self-criticism and how to align what the world needs from us with what we need from the world. Our conversation ranges from the pace of a startup environment to the calm and the stillness of meditation as well as exploring Megan's unique and fascinating set of perspectives on the world. How does someone go from being the private secretary to the secretary of state in the Department for Trade and Industry to starting a technology company?
1: <laughs> good question <laughs> um, I mean also how did someone in between those things become a venture capitalist <laughs> immediately after being a civil service <laughs> so yeah I've had a quite an interesting career you could, you could, you could say um, um, and actually a lot of people do come to me asking you know, how do you make such radical career moves you know, dur- during your career and I think basically the key thing is there's always a thread Like there's always something that links everything that you do from from one, one career career to another and that's you know rather than thinking about transferable skills which obviously everyone has I think it's important to also think about there is always a link and then that's how you how you can make those those sorts of moves. So you know as, as you've noticed I was at one point in my life a civil service fast streamer and uh, you know that gives the opportunity to move around the Department of Trade doing all various different things and the last job I had there was as private secretary to the Secretary of State so giving advice on energy policy and um it, you know, obviously industrial policy. So it was an opportunity, and, and actually the government's investments in, in, in companies at that time. So, you know, the government obviously is was an investor in northern in nuclear power plants, and you know, there are there are various other public, like sort of former publicly owned companies. So there was a thread there, and I guess previously I was working on renewable energy policy, which was a real passion of mine earlier. So the, the move that I made into venture capital after that was that in in venture capital, uh, we I was working with a clean technology investment fund. So they were investing in renewable energy, um, clean technologies, and technologies, particularly software, and some some hardware businesses as well. but they were looking to improve industrial processes with the application of this technology. And what we found was that a lot of those businesses have some public policy angle. so they're either in a highly regulated industry. Or there's some regulation, which is what's helping that business to really grow and to take off. Or there may be a sort of a public funding angle. So I guess my role in the investment team was to, you know, I was a full part of the investment team, so it's making investment decisions. But having had that public policy background, it enabled me to look at some of the investments we were making in a, from a different angle to some of the, my colleagues who came from a more classic financial background or a more scientific, you know, kind of engineering type background. So we had a, a, a balance within the team from all of those different areas.
0: You said that uh, when you've made radical career choices, they've had a thread. Mm
1: -hmm. What was
0: the thread for you between?
1: So the thread was renewable energy policy. Right, okay, so although the actual work was obviously very different, mm. but the background before was i was i was a, i was working on renewable energy policy before I became mm. the secretary of state's um private- av- uh, advisor, mm. and then when I was working in the venture capital firm, we were investing in- renew- in you know renewable energy and clean technology companies, so there was a thread of mm. the i guess the policy environment for um you know for for clean technologies that was the thread there
0: there must have been um perhaps other threads that you could have followed or pulled on there too
1: yeah there were many other threads yeah exactly yeah absolutely so you know everyone always talks when they you know would talk about career changes talk about transferable skills so you know obviously you know analysis report writing presenting skills and that sort of thing and Mm -hmm. that's that's kind of common for any kind of Pretty much any kind of job, effectively. But um, I guess it was that's more. I guess the thread in terms of the renewable energy policy was the more practical uh, mm-hmm. link between those the, those different. Um, I guess. Mm. career sort of career choices how did
0: you know when the right time was to follow that thread
1: i think you, you you have that it's a sort of it's a very personal thing really i mean i think you know i guess the traditional career advice is that you know every two years you should be thinking are you moving up or or out um as you as you move along your career mm-hmm. i mean i think that well certainly when you're in the more junior part of your your career and then as you get maybe you get a bit older and more developed you want to, it's more than a question of achievements so you may need to be in a, a role for maybe three or four years so that you can achieve you know so that you know maybe the first six months or something you're still getting embedded in the team figuring out you know what the role is and how you can develop and then there may be a strategy or plan you want to execute and you want to see that through so I think maybe earlier in your career maybe in your 20s it's more of a sort of you know two-year cycle two to three-year cycle typically and then as you get into your maybe your 30s, and and beyond you're mm-hmm. maybe looking at more having a meaningful achievement at, in that part of your career some in some roles that could be three years other mm-hmm. roles it could be more like sort of six five or six years and then are you having opportunities to progress and develop beyond that
0: you said you were making uh or at least the department for trade and industry was making some investments into companies at that point and uh, uh, naturally that
1: it was more divestments, so because obviously in the sort of I guess the 90s and the 2000s, the the, these are more the legacy companies that the government had. So you know, obviously the, previously the government owned mm. the post office. Um, what were the other things? Yeah, nuclear power. You know, so these were like the last remaining publicly owned companies. I actually don't haven't really followed it since. I, I don't know. I think they still have a shareholding in, in the Royal Mail, mm. possibly. But yeah. There's very fewer fewer businesses left like that.
0: What was the change like from the public sector to the private sector? Was it as much of a shock as maybe it looks like it might be from the outside?
1: I think it was a it definitely was a big change. I think if you were to move from the public sector uh, to a big corporate, so like Marks and Spencer's or you know one of the big footsie listed companies, I don't personally think that would be as much of a change as moving from the public sector to a very small um, venture capital fund, you know, which is sort of 10 people and, you know, very, very sort of get the cutting edge of, uh, you know, I guess, capitalism, effectively. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so it was very, two very different environments and, and very different dynamics there. But I think if you generally, you know, if people move from, you know, if, you, if you talk more about the public sector to the private sector, it very much depends what part of the private sector you're talking about.
0: Was that a conscious decision that you made to go for a smaller company on the edge of capitalism.
1: <laughs> I mean I think generally you know all venture capital firms I mean obviously unless there's, you know the really well known ones are typically very small um, you know they're partnership led and the you know the those are those that's typically the sort of businesses that you would join if that's a sort of part of the economy that you're interested in um, you know obviously it's very different if you're working for a you know I guess a corporate um Venture arm from from a large corporate, but yeah, you know, typically if you wanted to move into that sort of industry, that would be the type of environment that you'd be moving into. So yeah, that's what came with with that sort of role. But I mean, I was just, I mean, I guess what prompted my move is I was always really interested in new things so new technology you know what's happening how also do systems work i guess what what excited me about the civil service in the first place is just really understanding the establishment so how you know how how are ministers making these decisions mm-hmm. so it was just kind of interesting just to be in that environment and to seeing what happens it what i knew pretty early on it wasn't going to be the career that i wanted to do for the rest of rest of my life but it was it's really interesting even now that you can kind of go i mean you know for example i went to some sort of those G seven conferences so you know you can kind of now when you watch the watch the news imagine like what has actually been going on behind the scenes to you know to do those sorts of things but yeah so it was a, just an interesting time no. for me rather than a, I guess what I wanted to do forever sort of thing. what happened next uh in after the venture capital yeah <laughs> yeah so yeah so basically I guess you know, also, as you have experiences, I guess you're in, my interest certainly changed over time. So I really found, um, you know, the early stages of working in venture capital. It was really exciting working with early stage businesses and, you know, seeing all the different technologies coming through. And I guess I became more and more excited about software and what you could do with software and machine learning to, um, you know, to optimize industrial um, processes. And what happens often in venture capital firms is you maybe start out looking at, you know, very early stage cutting edge technologies. And then over time, as the funds become bigger and more established, there's a more of a, I guess, an impetus to move to more later stage businesses. So more established companies, and maybe companies that aren't quite so much at the cutting edge of technology but obviously very successful and lucrative businesses over time. So I guess my my interest in then moving to then found, working on my own source, my own projects and ultimately founding my own business was that I wanted to you know really focus more on the software um, and machine learning angle of things and remain with uh, maybe you know developing early stage businesses rather than going in the direction that the fund was was, was going in at the time.
0: Strikes me as a pattern that Uh, manifests itself in so many other parts of life too that you begin small and niche and as you grow Mm -hmm. you inevitably become more mainstream and in some ways it's the challenge of our career to to buck against that.
1: Yeah exactly so you know so I left because I wanted to you know initially just started looking very generally at you know applications of machine learning and I wanted to also as an investor you see a lot of um, businesses, but you know, you get to a certain level of, of depth with that. But when you're actually working on your own projects, you're taking a much deeper dive, so really understanding what sits behind that, how does the technology actually working, you know, what are the, all the various different applications that you could be expressing. So it, w- so I spent some time working on some really early stage um, sort of data science projects, and along the way, kind of stumbled on the insurance industry and you know all the things that. Was sort of starting to happen and needed to happen to bring that industry much more into the 21st century. And it was really interesting because Anna, my co-founder at Nancy, she was, uh, came from a sort of a fintech background. So she was one of the early developers at Money Farm. Um So she'd seen what, you know, cutting edge fintech businesses were doing and was really surprised when we started looking at this kind of insurance angle that it just seemed behind you know, there's still a lot of innovation that needed to happen that we could kind of follow along with what has already been very successful in fintech and bring some of that thinking and technology into the insure tech space.
0: Mm. Could I take us back to that that moment where you leave venture capital? Because there's a really mm-hmm. decent period of time, about five years mm-hmm. or so before you then yeah. go on to start your own company. It must have been quite a profound decision to make at the time to say, "Okay, I'm gonna cut here, and I'm gonna I'm gonna be in the niche. I'm gonna be in the detail." Um, Mm -hmm. How did you find the? Where did the courage come from in that moment to be able to do it? Because
1: a lot of people don't. Yeah, I mean, I think there's. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's. I mean, it just depends on how true you want to be to yourself because it's always easy to stay and do what you've done before and you know that, I think that's sometimes why people End up staying in maybe jobs or careers that they are maybe not so happy in, or it's not no longer aligned with what they want to do. And I think it's just important to keep challenging yourself to say, you know, how excited am I to get up in the morning and to do this? Is this challenging me? Am I continuing to develop in in this role? You know, or could I be doing more? Because you're spending so many hours of your day just you know at work, and it's I think it's an important part of your life to be. Um, you know, happy and fulfilled in, you know, in addition to all of the other parts of, of life as well.
0: Is that something that comes naturally to you?
1: I think it's something that doesn't probably come naturally to anyone because it's, it's a challenge, isn't it? So it's something you have to think, you actually, actually have to actively think about, uh, you know, and, and really think, you know, because, you know, it's very easy just to go through the motions you know, get up every day, do the, do this thing. Do you, you know, do you take stock? You know, how often do we take stock of our lives and, and really think, is this what I'm doing? Unless something major happens or there's something that forces you to, to really just keep readjusting, you know, what you're doing. Did
0: you use any particular thought experiments or frameworks if it's not something that comes naturally to us? what can Mm -hmm. we do to put ourselves in a frame of reference that enables us to make that decision, do you think?
1: No, it's really interesting. I think there's definitely lots of tools and techniques that we could use. So, um, and I guess they go across a whole spectrum from the sort of... I guess, more conventional ones to the more sort of spiritual frameworks as well, which, you know, I don't know if that's something your audience is kind of interested in. So, I mean, obviously, there's, I guess, the more conventional types of examples would be, you know, things like, you know, coaching, you know, therapy, you know, or sort of, you know, the more structured, you know, Western methods that, you know, New Year's resolutions even, or, you know, the people that when they have a birthday, they think, they take stock of their life and and they they use that those sorts of cycles to to you know just to you know really check in with what they're doing um and you know i guess i guess then then you've got the more i guess things like vision boards and then you know sort of i guess you know the people that do um you know you know sort of looking to to do to, I guess, imagine where they want to be in a certain period of time, and then maybe start to sort of set out what were the steps that they would need to do to, to, you know, to get to that that place that they are and then i guess other sorts of times that you could check in would be you know more around like the new moon like the moon cycle and that sort of thing and you know sort of you know if you are if you have a like a meditation practice or or something like that that's also a way of just trying to check in with yourself on a periodic basis about how aligned your feeling your life is in terms of you know how where where you're actually sort of going you know in the, in very the broader sense
0: it's interesting that each one of those kind of conventional or or more unconventional ways of thinking about making this decision are, are almost like reset buttons that take mm, you back exactly. and enable you to make the decision from afresh in some way.
1: I guess it's two things. So if the first thing is, I guess, the ground, you know, just to really sort of feel into yourself to see where you are. So it's even not a reset. It's just like actually ground. to, yeah. Uh, yeah, just just to think, am I <laughs> am I happy? Is, is this fulfilling me? So it's just a sort of a, almost a stop. And then maybe depending on how you're feeling at that point of the stop is then when you restart or, or then then you would look to reset or realign or, or restart beyond that.
0: It's like a pause.
1: Exactly, yeah. yeah. And it's beautiful, those, those, those moments of pause or just to give yourself a bit more space, really. Mm.
0: There's a uh, uh, an article I read recently about artificial beginnings and how uh, we, we, only, we don't have too many beginnings or endings in our natural life usually it just begins and then ends (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. and we as human beings try and create these frameworks around our kind of kind of social environment to create these artificial beginnings and we can Mm -hmm. we can look at things like a new year's resolution and think oh it's a waste of time or oh it's a birthday I don't know. whatever it's just a birthday like I've just been alive for another year but actually at a deeper level what we're doing is trying to create frameworks that force us to reflect on certain moments and and make us think about where we're going, because otherwise it would just be a linear line from the start to the end.
1: But I think the opposite, you know. So as as a woman, you have a monthly cycle, you know. So we're always changing. So actually, there's a natural time to to have a, a reset every, every month. Mm. So actually, I would say that life is always going up in a sort of you know, and we have seasons as well. So there are natural cycles that you know we as humans and as as you know. A living through effectively but maybe we just don't really notice them in modern society you know it's also you know like even things like harvest festivals or, or you know we used to you know and even the solstice so you know as like culturally we always used to celebrate the, the the earth as it changed over time but you know rather than looking at things in this sort of linear you know you get born you go to school you go to university you work you die I
0: love it I love it I wonder how else we can practically tap into nature's own cycles that will allow us to make more intelligent decisions.
1: Yeah. I mean, maybe we would be a much more eco-friendly society if we did tap Mm. into nature's natural rhythms as well. Mm.
0: Once you made that decision to find that niche again and go back to those cutting-edge roots, um, why did it take you five years
1: Because I think I'm not really um, someone that is particularly time driven. You know, I, I think it's I think it's for me, it's always much more important to be doing the right thing rather than the thing that is. You know, I didn't feel in, under any pressure in that time to, I wasn't really in any hurry to to jump onto something. It was much more a question of, you know, I had my consultancy business, I was working on various projects and I was just looking, I wasn't just looking to found any old company. I wanted to found, you know, the company that I really believed could actually do something um, meaningful and important, um, you know, for the for the future. And yeah, I mean, I think it was good to take that time because now um, I think we're, we're really excited about what we're building at Nancy, um, you know, both in terms of how we're, we're running the business, but also the actual impact that we can have on, you know, in the insurance industry and, and specifically, I guess, starting with this niche in, of goods in transit.
0: It sounds like it's it was less to you about the the rush or the or the the external kind of finding work that exists outside of me, um, but more that that time period between you leave venture, leaving Venture Capital and then starting Anansi gave you the kind of chance to find that meeting ground between the two, between your own mm, self and, and the world. How do you go about okay. practically understanding your own interests? Because – They they're clearly uh, certain channeled to a certain degree, but broad too. Uh, Mm -hmm. How do Mm -hmm. how do you know in in how have you gone about figuring out yourself what projects or ideas are most important to you?
1: I mean, I think it's. It's interesting, isn't it? Because it—I it, mean, uh, fundamentally, it comes down to, I guess, you know, you've got your own in, in, internal things that you're passionate about, and that it just, you know, you get very excited and, I guess, obsessed <laughs> by, also. But then it's also about the connection to others. So, what are you excited about working on with other people? So, because that's what makes a project come alive. When you've got, you know, you, you know, you start off, you know, with yourself, and then, you know, Anna and I obviously then join together, and, and now we've got, you know, a team of people that we've inspired to work on this this thing that we're working on together so um i don't know if that's particularly answering your question and then i guess then beyond that then it's having p- feedback from you know customers that they're really excited about you know and and also sort of distribution partners there's a whole sort of network of stakeholders that we're involved with and it's yeah that having you know good you know getting good and positive feedback from those people then you know just gives the whole project a lot more energy and then that's what motivates you to to keep uh you know you know moving forwards to to bring that all together
0: so if that process is a melting pot and you're mm-hmm. putting into it these different aspects of your life the thing that you think the world needs uh your own internal motivations like what else goes into that melting pot for you
1: so um let me just think so it's what yeah so it's what you you know what you think the world well i don't know so i mean obviously you start with what the what do you think the world needs, but then also the world will tell you what it needs as well, so it's a sort of bi directional thing as well, so it's obviously getting a lot of you know speaking to a lot of people, getting you know getting that sort of i guess feedback, and then it's also what you know what is possible to do what are you, you know are you the right person to do this or is this what you're good at? if not, who are the people that you could have around you to help? bring that idea to life as well and um, you know how then can you have and build an environment where the people that you know want to work on this can thrive and enjoy what they're doing and be as best supported to to achieving that vision as well I think that's really important. It's
0: incredibly, It's an incredibly objective way of thinking about it it's almost as if you're detaching yourself from that scenario recognizing your own internal motivations. But yet Mm -hmm. seeing everything from a bird's eye view somehow.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you have to probably see it from both angles. So it's not entirely a theoretical exercise, Mm. but it's also, you know, you're in it, but you're also on it at the same time.
0: Mm. What were some examples of projects that you decided not to go with during that time
1: period? Um, well, one project that we, that Anna and I were working on together that we decided not to go with was, um, so originally we were looking um, at working with an insurance company. This is when we first started out, working with an insurance company to um, really help support them with the sale of small business insurance to make that whole process a lot more optimal. So we were looking at taking external data from various sources so that they're Um, the agents, the insurance agents were sort of better prepared um, with more knowledge about those businesses and their businesses' needs in order to, to make that insurance much more efficient. And, you know, I guess we, you know, we so we did research, we had some, you know, some interesting feedback on that, but ultimately what we were really passionate about was, you know, looking at the whole process. So rather than just sort of scratching the surface at the sale side of things, looking at the, you know, really... You know what needs to happen, and how can we do that with the with the product niche that we we decided on, which was this e-commerce goods and transit insurance, so that we can actually build this fully automated cycle with a much better onboarding process, you know minimal work from the customer's point of view to administer the insurance in the middle, and then most importantly, an efficient claim cycle. So when things go wrong, people can get their claims without having to fill in long forms and wait you know, months and months for the claims to be settled. So by focusing much down on that niche and just having our, our own effect of our own product, that's what enabled us to be much more true to our original vision.
0: Did you feel like you were getting closer during that discovery period and day by day your you you could feel that you were getting closer to the company that you wanted to build or did it kind of happen quickly in a moment
1: no it didn't happen quickly in a moment so it you know definitely I think it's again you know it came up and down so you know I think we we definitely got You know, sometimes you feel like you're close. I think when you're at the really early stages of starting a business, it's not really clear what's happening. (laughs) So there may be days where you feel closer. You've I'm sure you've experienced this as well. There are days when you feel like you're miles away from your vision. And then I think over time, gradually you do feel as though you are then getting closer. And then, you know, then there there are days when it feels like things click into place. So an example of where we definitely had a moment where things hugely took up like a step change in things clicking into place was that Originally, we were looking at building, um, well, starting with goods and transit insurance, and then ba- really focusing on everything an e-commerce business needs, not, not all small businesses, but looking at things like, you know, employers insurance, well, product liability insurance. So we had a whole suite of products designed for these e-commerce businesses. And one day we decided after, well, not just one day, but it was after a series of different conversations with, you know, very experienced people in the insurance industry who really counseled us just focus on like goods and trans insurance with one product, and that will enable you to you know to expand internet well expand up the value chain and also expand internationally much more easily than to be doing lots of different insurance products and as soon as we made that change it didn't feel like a huge change at the time because you know effectively it was what we were doing at the moment, but it just was in fact narrowing down what we were planning to do in the future but that suddenly helped people to see our vision and how that would all come together, and how we'd actually be able to scale our business much more easily.
0: Could I move us on to a question about nature? Because it sounds like yes, this has played a bit a large part in your um, your journey, or at least you have a a, a closer or perhaps a, a richer understanding of how it might affect our working life. Are there any aspects of your work today that are impacted by? nature
1: i mean i guess you know obviously we all have an impact <laughs> on on nature yeah. on a, on a personal level so we're a fully distributed team for example <laughs> so and that was intentional since the company was was founded so you know we you know i guess you know there's different arguments about whether that's more efficient or less efficient as, as a way of managing the business, um, you know, if you balance commuting costs with you know, everyone's individual heating costs. And then obviously, then there's, I guess, the although we're an insurance company, we're insuring the movement of items. Mm. So there's an environmental impact with that. So, you know, we've had a number of people asking about whether we want to offer some form of um we want to consider that in our product roadmap. You know, for example, you know, could it be carbon offsetting or, or something along those lines? And then I think it's also important, like looking to the future, do we want to become, you know, you know, do we want to sort of aspire to becoming a B corporation, for example, or a company that really does honour the, prev- the the pledges around nature? So, you know some of the leaders in an insurtech space so for example lemonade have gone down that path and they really look to do a full sort of carbon audit of 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 what the what the startup is doing and i think over time more startups are going to start doing doing that sort of thing as well so that's something that we definitely need to consider about doing you know in the future because and then i guess the the other thing to remember is that you know we're a software business so there are decisions that we can make about how we actually manage our software that could have quite substantial impacts on the amount of data that we're collecting and then the energy impact of that in on, uh, you know, you know, even even things like I've heard crazy things like if you change your website from white to black, it, it has a huge amount you know of less energy that's required you know for you know for, for that. Mm. So you know there are all sorts of things that we consider. We're definitely not at the forefront of this and in, in what we're doing, but it's something that we should certainly challenge ourselves to to think about in in the future. I think.
0: Mm. Do you have a working definition of? flow and a state of flow for you for you
1: in a work sense yeah um I mean I definitely know what the feeling of flow is um you know just both in a in a sort of a personal sense and also from uh you know I I really I actually really love that that whole definition of being in flow or, or trying to be in that sort of state um I wouldn't say I would be in that state at all times, especially with how much changes you know on the, on the startup basis. So for example, my role has changed quite a lot just in the last few weeks, in fact, because we've gone from being you know really small team. So it was just Anna and myself for a long time. And then we had two employees last year and we just recruited, we have three, um, yeah, five more people who've joined us in the last sort of three months. So our roles have changed quite a lot and we're still going through that kind of storming, you know, forming process where we really figure out how we're realigning as a team and what our roles are is within the team, and you know, it take some time, you know, to get back into a more steady state of, you know, a, a flow around that. But I think that's again, it's part of the cyclical cycle that we, you know, we were talking about, you know, but earlier on in the conversation. What do you mean? Well, we were talking about how, you know, over time, you know, there's, there's, you know, every organization, every organism, every organization goes through cycles. Mm. And one of those is this, I guess, um, I think it comes from the army, this kind of storming, norm, uh, forming, I can't even remember what the three stages are. Yeah, but not- when a team comes together, you have, a, I guess, a storming phase where everyone's just trying to figure out how we all work together and then you form into a more cohesive unit and then you're, you know, then it's, you you're back to the normal uh, and and then when someone else comes into the team, then you have a, you go back to a storming process where you're sort of realigning and then you go, you know, you sort of, you you as a team go through those cycles every time you, you add people or lose people or things change or you add a new, you know, product or something along those lines.
0: Could you be in a state of flow across the different sections
1: i mean obviously that would be the the ultimate goal (laughs) but i think we're not all you know probably (laughs) that alike i mean possibly maybe you or you could have times when you're in in flow obviously you'd ideally like to be in flow at, at all those times recognizing the chaos around you particularly in the storming phase but um yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think it, it it is possible, but maybe you're more likely to be more opportunities to be in flow when things are, are more back down to that steady state. But I guess in the startup phase, maybe you're never, in, maybe you're always in that early stage. Yes, do you think seems, so? Yes, yeah, yeah?
0: we we want to create this sense of flow and this mm-hmm. this optimal state of work. Um, yeah. But if that is isn't conducive to a highly volatile environment, then we're misaligning what we're ultimately looking for with the practical reality of the type type of work that we want. It strikes me that when you were spending more time working through problems that you Mm -hmm. were able to perhaps accomplish a heightened, more deeper state of flow in that moment because you had a longer period of time in order to work through those challenges in some way perhaps rather than the kind of tumultuous constant disruptive change that that happens when things are going through high growth
1: I think there's two different things I mean I definitely think sometimes time helps, but sometimes more people help because you know just having like a really high performing team of people with different perspectives you know you can just come to a you know you can just have a like a deeper discussion to you know on something and that will just help you unlock what you're trying to unlock so I don't think the two are necessarily totally you know, unaligned. Mm. And, you know, I think it's just, also it's really exciting to be, you know, working in a team of people you know, to, to actually make, make those decisions, you know, sometimes a little bit more, more rapidly so that you are Mm -hmm. going through that kind of high, high growth phase as well. Mm -hmm. So I think sometimes, sometimes maybe you have a point in life where you want to have a more like relaxed stage Mm -hmm. and then maybe other times it's that's, this is what drives you. But again, that's why, you know, for some people, a startup environment Mm -hmm. is, is a really good career move for them. But for other people, you know, maybe it is better to, to work in a, you know, a A huge insurance company, or you know, a large um, corporate, and then just you know, where where things inevitably are just going to be a little bit more slow and considered, just because there's so many people that need to be involved, and that would just be maybe more in line with what they're looking for in their career at that that point in time. I mean, we've just had a colleague who's just joined us. She was with Sky previously, and now she's she's never worked in a startup, so this is the first time that she's working in a startup, and you know, she's finding that transition really exciting, and she's just sort of hit hit the ground running but you know it was it's a very different and although her role is very similar to what she was her role was before the environment is very different but she seems to be thriving with that you know with that change Mm. of of pace
0: all of our capabilities are different and that pace that we we would be working at or that um that level of challenge that size of challenge is different for everyone um Mm -hmm. how do you go about sizing up a challenge if everyone's capacity for challenge is different
1: yeah because also if you, even if you do size up the challenge how do you know that you've sized it up accurately
0: mm, mm. so difficult
1: so, yeah, exactly. I mean, I think, but yeah, to I mean, to give another, a specific example with Anansi, I mean, you know, you look at what we're doing, you know, so that it doesn't sound that complicated, <laughs> you know, so we're just offering digitized insurance, but you wouldn't believe, I mean, we obviously had an idea, well, maybe we made some assumptions or how big this challenge would be when we, when we started the, the company and actually the challenge has been significantly more than we we could ever have imagined and it's you know because just the complexity of what we're trying to doing we're doing the, you know the number of different people involved um has been significantly more than we um were expecting and you know so you know you, you can make some assumptions you know along the journey um but you know i think it's also you know, that's part of the I guess the excitement of seeing having to adapt when maybe mm. some of the assumptions you might have made early on haven't been as accurate as possible.
0: Let's say that you you go through one of those experiences and you you decide on a project to work on and you are you you start going into it and in the Patrick Collison definition you do you think it's a pond and it turns out to be a lake and the whole thing's massive and really scary. Mm-hmm. How do you how do you know when you've bitten off more than you can chew because a big challenge is great but a challenge Mm -hmm. that is so enormous that it is beyond comprehension is really difficult Mm
1: -hmm. no exactly I mean I think it's definitely important to have um to you know to see where I guess you can at least define an achievable element of the challenge, because otherwise it's not possible to achieve something you can't even define or or see the edges of, mm-hmm. and you know with any any challenge, it's you know it's like that, you know, Lao Tzu. Quotes, you know, every journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. Mm. So, you know, what is the step that you can make next in the direction of that challenge? Mm. Um, and then, you know, ultimately, is the ultimate challenge actually achievable? So, you know, it could be a huge lake, but is it, you know, is it possible to cross the lake? Mm. Uh, you know, can you just you know, take small steps to, to, to get to get to where you are? Or is this an unsolvable, you know, an unsolvable problem effectively?
0: This is so closely related to personal growth and how large the challenges we take on for our personal growth should be um when you've gone through your journey how have you tiptoed the line between the introspection that's required to really understand yourself and what motivates you and And the objectivity that's required in order to really challenge yourself in those moments, versus going too far and it bordering on self sabotage and being too distant from yourself.
1: What would be um, so? What in in terms of so? Just on the point of self sabotage, as in being too, I guess, hard on yourself. So Mm. too too introspective. Mm. Oh that's interesting. I think that's a very personal thing though it really depends on your tendency. I mean, I think it's very popular now in the sort of western culture for you know for people to have very strong anxiety and very um to be very sort of self critical as it were you know without being kind to themselves but um I think it, it, it um I think how do you how do you address that? I think it's a question of knowing your knowing maybe your personal limits. But you know, looking to see, trying not to make everything that goes wrong your a personal failing, and I think that's an issue with um, you know with start with you know with you know with anyone doing a startup or any kind of project which has a high degree of failure is internalizing an external failure effectively and seeing how you can separate something that doesn't work out from something that's intrinsically wrong with yourself. Because there's nothing intrinsically wrong with yourself. <laughs> you know, there's, there's just the things that just don't work out effectively.
0: That requires a really deep level of understanding of things that are within your control and the things that are outside of your control.
1: Yeah, but then maybe not understanding, but just even you know coming back to the grounding. You know, to say because actually that's the issue with with startups is actually most things are actually out of your your control. You know, you can try and you know. Bring as much as you can, you can do what you can to, you know, to, to you know, to make a success of it. But you know, the fact is that a lot of it is 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 really out of your control effectively. You're just trying to sort of, I guess, harness as much as you can to 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 achieve the goals that you want to achieve.
0: How how do you make sure that you don't internalize things that that go wrong?
1: I think it comes back to what we were talking about earlier about, you know, the importance of grounding and you know, being you know, just sort of resetting and seeing. You know, where are where are where are you now? <laughs> what have what has been in your control and and what is out of your control? And you know, just really sitting down either individually, but also you know, with your co-founders, and and just you know just always checking in to see where you are, are you being delusional <laughs> or you know what what's real and what's not real, because often a lot of things, you know, maybe, you know, because you're still creating the future. So it's it's very it can be difficult to unpick what is actually happening at this point in time. And I know both myself and Anna have found that having a you know regular regular sort of meditation practice has been really helpful in just being able to individually reset and, and, and ground and, and see where we are and, and also have that I guess ability to look objectively at ourselves you know what's happening around us and how, are the, how is the business going so you know and, and meditation can take a lot of different forms it's not just the sort of sitting cross-legged um, you know for 20 minutes doing nothing which I think a lot of people struggle with it can be run you know for some people it's running it can be going for a walk it can be going for a gym it's you know it can be really you know any kind of practice which gets you in your body and out of your you know kind of monkey mind you know can be a a meditative practice so it could even be cooking for some people so anyone you know any time that you're spending you know in your own sort of energy I think is is really helpful I mean I heard something really scary the other day um founder was doing an interview and, and he said that literally the you know they were like how many hours do you work a week and he said if I was awake I was working like literally. And even when I was eating, I was actually also working at the same time. And, you know, that's, if in, you know, that could be seen as admirable in, in some cases. But I think it, it is also important to have a, a bit of time of not working and just being outside of that, that environment. You know, and I think that can help you be just as successful as working, you know, 23 hours of the day or whatever.
0: What is meditation for you?
1: Well, meditation for me is, is definitely, I mean, I have quite a sort of structured meditation practice, <laughs> so I do spend 20 minutes a day sitting cross-legged <laughs> doing some, you know, kind of breathing exercises and, and yoga, but, you know, I do other things. I mean, I do go to the gym. I do like, you know, cooking and doing other things, but, you know, I, I've done, didn't doing this practice for, for many years, so, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I um, I know what works for me, and, you know, I do do something in the morning, you know, when I wake up, and often, you know, last thing at night as well.
0: You said that um, it was part of the reason why it's so important to have a uh some kind of meditation practice is that it allows you to spend time with your your own energy um Mm -hmm. is it your own energy or is it the world's energy that you're spending time with there (laughs)
1: Oh, that's quite profound. I think it's probably both. <laughs> I mean, I think you know, you 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 are connected to the, the to everything, you know, at all times. So I guess it's it's I guess in that, and that's you know, we talked about grounding. That's effectively connecting to the world's energy as well. So it's and that's also where we're getting, I guess, some of our power and you know motivation from you know from the earth and uh, you know from you know from the source you know Mm. around us so i think it's achieving having that time of of internal grounding and and setting and 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 being there is is actually helping you to connect with all of those things
0: Mm. and put in that context it makes a lot of sense that as you go through your working life it would make logical sense to spend time in the your own personal energy or the energy of the world because ultimately the your working life is a meeting of those two those two existences yeah
1: effectively, yeah and what impact you can have on on that you know where sh- where are you should you be directing your you know your your part of the world what is uh, what is what is the guidance you're receiving to do that oh,
0: i love talking thank you so much for sharing your words on nature and its impact on work though it's played a profound part in your your own working journey i think it can make such a difference to other people too
1: Well, I hope it's helpful to to other people. I hope it may be a little bit different to some other people's takes on on things, but yeah.
0: (laughs) The Best Work podcast is produced by the team at Cord. I'd love your advice on how we can make sure the Best Work podcast is having a profound impact on the way we all pursue our best work. Email me at benatcord.co. You can also find a transcript of this conversation insightful video content and more at core.co slash insights thanks for listening